Have you ever looked around at everyone on their phones on the subway in the morning and wondered, what is everyone reading about? Well, you can find out what billions of people are paying attention to online right now with Currents from Parsley. Go check out whether people are paying more attention to sports or to politics, what types of stories get more traffic from Facebook versus Flipboard, and which cities Google their news the most. Just visit parse.ly slash digiday now and sign up for your free account. The slew of bad news about Facebook keeps coming, but ad fraud is not exactly a new problem. However, it does perpetuate this at a massive scale, and that is something that Craig Silverman is focused on in his work at BuzzFeed. I'm Brian Marcy, and this is the Digiday Podcast. On this week's show, I speak to Craig, who is a media editor at BuzzFeed, and we talk about the vicious circle of how ad spending helps to fuel a lot of the propaganda and fake news that is out there. Hope you enjoy it. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, really happy uh, that you're here. I really am, have been fascinated by the, your beat and, and the work that you're doing at BuzzFeed. And I always like to do a little journalist on journalist conversation every now and again. Great. Um, tell me how this came to be. I mean, how did this beat around misinformation, um, how, did, how did it get formed? Well, it was it was actually the thing that made BuzzFeed reach out to me. So in uh, in 2014, I was doing a research project at the Tau Center at Columbia, where basically I was looking at how news websites deal with unverified information. So a claim is out there, like maybe it's in a tweet, and what do news websites do? You know, do they write it up? And when they write it up, do they describe it as unverified or a claim in the headline? And then what if it turns out to be true or false? How do they react to that? And so I was doing this research project and we were gathering data and then we had visualized the data on a website to sort of show that, you know, basically the, the takeaway was the stuff that was false was getting way more engagement uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. And then when it was debunked, you know, it got basically no attention. And the attempts to debunk misinformation were failing compared to, you know, the completely false stories or the unverified claims that turned out to be false. People just didn't pay attention to it once you actually knew the end game. And so, you know, I was doing that. I was kind of, you know, promoting the site. I was talking about at that time in 2014 what I started calling fake news, which was mm-hmm. completely false stories done for financial benefit. Uh, and I got an email from Ben Smith in like early 2015 saying, hey, is this your website? It's kind of cool. Come in and talk to us. And he was kind of like, you know, come see me the next time you're in New York. And at that point, my fellowship was ending and I needed to figure out what I was going to do next. So I, I literally like, hey, I'll be there next week. And I booked a flight, not telling him that I was booking it for that reason. And and that was really when the stuff got, started to get a lot of attention because hoaxes have always been around misinformation. It's always been around. Yeah. Rumors have always been around. Mm-hmm. But now we have platforms and, and they, I think they were used around that time really to weaponize this kind of misinformation hoaxes for political or financial gain. Yeah, that that time frame of like 2014 into 2015, looking back now for the financial stuff, for the business model. <clears throat> so like that's one piece of it that's different is there's a really good business model that is easily attainable for a wide variety of people to actively spread falsehoods and misinformation and in particular about American politics. So like, you know, you've had the National Enquirer before, but that was a mm-hmm. hard business to get up and running, the distribution challenges and all that. But now it's like throw up a website, get AdSense on it, 
you're in business. And and then the second part was Facebook starting to become a massive traffic driver, right? And so people started to realize, oh, if I combine really hyperpartisan or sometimes false information with the biases and with the viral ability of Facebook, you know, again, massive engagement. So yeah, that was that was kind of a really important period. It was also, I think, when a lot of the trolling culture from 4chan and other places started to take hold and you mm-hmm. had people actively thinking about how do we mess with these platforms? How do we capture attention in this media environment? How do we kind of hack our way into a mass amount of distribution? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of a critical time looking back now. And obviously there's a massive, there's a lot of different groups with a lot of different interests in this. Some are just, you know, purely financial. I think, I mean, yeah. you guys did some some amazing work around the, the Macedonian, were they teenagers? The Macedonian, everyone loves the Macedonian te- teens, yeah. Well, because it's sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it speaks to how, how difficult of a problem this is. Mm. It's not just, you know, Russia with the Internet Research Agency. Right. It's... A bunch of Macedonian teenagers. Yeah, and for them, they didn't really care about American politics. Their whole thing was they had taken what what the guy bills as an internet marketing course. So this guy in the capital of Macedonia, completely unscrupulous dude who really understands how Facebook and Google and AdSense and all those things works, was training people. They pay for this course, and he basically taught them how to like rip content, um, sometimes copy it or you know loosely aggregate it. Um, do it around niche topics that Americans were interested in, and then how to promote the hell out of it on Facebook and make money from that. And they just naturally gravitated towards launching these kind of pro-Trump political sites because they saw that's where the engagement was. And then they naturally gravitated towards Mm -hmm. misleading and false content because that's also what was working. So it was like, when I think about them, I think that they were the perfect expression of what the market was rewarding in 2016, which was this completely over-the-top, often false content that was really weaponized for Facebook and targeted at Americans. Mm-hmm. Is this mostly an American phenomenon? You're you're Canadian. Yes. Um, I think you are. I am. <laughs> I live and work in Canada in spite of okay. being obsessed so can, with the United States. Okay. Yeah. So so you can, you know, as as a as as an outsider, you can you can you can tell us straight. Is this is this an American problem mostly? Um, there's it's I would say there's an English language problem to it, and that's because of the ad networks. Yeah. Uh, you know, an, an an English language reader from the United States, or for that matter, to a certain extent from Canada, from the UK, they're worth more than if you're a Macedonian. Why would you do a site in Macedonia and appeal to the Macedonian audience where the CPMs Not are incredibly a big low? No, Not a big you know, you got a ceiling, you got low CPMs. I don't even know if Google AdSense is available there still. So, um, so there's that piece of it. It's a very lucrative market, and so. Americans are really, in a lot of ways, they're the target for a lot of this overseas stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, not talking about the Russian IRA. We're talking about you know people in Vietnam running Facebook pages about Native Americans because they want to sell you know counterfeit Native American goods and things like that. So yeah. Americans are targeted a lot with this stuff. And, and we're probably more susceptible to it. I'll be more critical. Of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, You're being a polite case. So, here. so the, we're more susceptible. We we yeah. are not as media literate. I mean, look, this is a giant. Uh, a very diverse country that you know, while while very rich and in some senses, like has a lot of weaknesses. Clearly, when it comes to this kind of media literacy, that you don't see as much 
I think, in other countries. So one of the things I would say that seems a bit unique in the U.S. is, is I think, the, the polarization and divisions in society that are, and there are other kind of countries challenged with that, but I mean, it's really, it's institutionalized almost now in the United States. And so that's a really great market for people who can kind of play mm-hmm. that on Facebook. So that's one thing that's unique. I do think the media literacy challenge, totally valid, but I honestly think that it's a challenge in most countries around the world because we are consuming media in radically different ways. You know, this, this feed of different information coming from different sources, sometimes endorsed mm-hmm. by friends, sometimes coming from yeah. places we reckon. I mean, that's on a basic cognitive level, that is messing with all of us. And I and I think that's going to take us years to actually adapt to. Yeah. It. I mean, as someone with a Twitter problem, I, I, I know that it has yes. distorted my brain. You know, you're trying to go to bed and you're like, refresh, refresh. No, stop, <laughs> stop, stop. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a lot of this comes down to the monetization angle, because I think a lot of times, um, and I think that's something really interesting that you guys have, have gotten at, is the oxygen for all of this are these monetization systems. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about that, because a lot of times the monetization systems have basically said they do not have a responsibility whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah, and and because of the opacity of how digital media um, is monetized, there's there's an out there. There's mm. I always say that you know the the core feature of digital media is plausible deniability. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, let me let me say as a, a just a top level thing. Since spending about a year and a half investigating ad fraud, I've never been lied to by more people in my career than since I've been dealing with people involved in welcome, digital welcome, advertising. Welcome to my world, Craig. It is unbelievable, and it actually it genuinely has made me really angry about the state of things. And uh, and I think I think people need to take a hold of this because. It's and on one level, there's a. I feel like there's a house of cards things going on with the amount of completely fake traffic and the amount of monetization going on with that. Mm-hmm. But you know, to your point of the monetization piece being the engine of this, I think there's two sides to that. So one is, again, that business model appeal, um, and the fact that people can actually make money from doing this stuff in a much easier and, and bigger way. But the second part is the infrastructure has also been weaponized. When we think about false and misleading information, the infrastructure to target, the infrastructure to slice audiences, that is something that we have, of course, seen exploited. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, it, as as an industry and as the sort of technology that's there. Yeah, I mean, it has been an absolute boon for just straight up 100% criminals who are stealing billions of dollars a year. It's been an absolute boon for state-sponsored actors who are trying to identify and target audiences with specific messages and then really very efficiently evaluate the effectiveness and, uh, and adapt to those. So the whole infrastructure has been weaponized without a doubt. We'll be back after this quick break. What you do with your time says something about what you value. Right now, hopefully, you're valuing this podcast. Parsley, our sponsor, believes in a world that values attention and believes that data on how audiences spend their time across the web shouldn't be limited to a few of the world's largest tech firms. To support this effort, Parsley has released Currents, the Internet's first attention measurement platform. Currents lets you see what stories, topics, and categories audiences pay attention to. Sign up for Currents for free to explore the data yourself, visit parse.ly slash digiday now and sign up for your free account. How does it get fixed? Because a lot of this is, you know, all the things that we were told 
were going to be um, great things mm. turned out to be, in many cases, bad things. We were told that the internet was going to allow anyone to publish and we'd have a flowering of more information and more voices, the gatekeepers right. would go away. We were told that you know we were gonna be able to uh, monetize this content in, in, in new ways. We could uh, target users. The mm -hmm. advertising would be accountable because uh, <laughs> it would be based on, right. on clicks and engagement metrics and things like this. And mm. all of these things have turned out uh, to lead to a lot of adverse outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like we are living the very representation of the double-edged sword world right now. I mean, it, it is better that more people can participate. There are a mm -hmm. lot of voices that are out there that weren't there before. There there should be a great opportunity for like smaller operations that are more focused and more niche to build a really good business and to, to not have to have huge startup costs and other things. But yeah, at the same time, I mean, I, th I think the industry has to stare in the mirror and look and, and on one basic level, why are you okay with so much money being 100% stolen? Like there's that old ad of you know, I know half my advertising is ineffective. You're talking on the voice. on the marketer side. Yeah, there's there's that piece, but it's also it's not just the marketer whose money is being stolen who doesn't seem to push back on it as much as I think they should. It's everyone throughout the supply chain who is who is not taking responsibility for their role in that. Um, and the part of the problem I think is well, that wait, like yeah. it, a lot of them don't take a. Uh, uh, um, responsibility because it's part of their business model. If yes. you're profiting from this, you're not going to call it out. No, all the incentives are towards everybody just letting the whole thing just continue. Right. Um, and unless the marketers really get up and, and stamp their feet and pull the money away, nothing nothing is going to change. Mm -hmm. But I also I, I think that one of the problems is that we're not pointing out all of the players at every stage throughout the process of buying and, and making inventory available who see stuff going on, who don't say anything, who don't do anything, because as you point out, um, they're making money from it. And, and I just, mm -hmm. I mean, I, and they're like the other guys worse. So that's yes. the rationalization, basically. You know, um, and it's also there's so there's like the complicity piece of well nobody else is really speaking up, so let's just keep let's keep this thing rolling because nobody wants to see the budgets cut, right? And nobody wants to admit that a huge amount of the inventory is fraudulent that's available on a daily basis right. from everything. Uh, Even the marketer doesn't want to admit that. No. How does the marketer go? I mean, look, CFOs have always looked at, at marketing and been like, oh, man, I know that there is so much <laughs> bullshit here. Yeah. Um, and now the marketer is going to go back to the CFO and be like, oh, remember how I was bragging about we moved half our budgets into digital mm -hmm. and was all accountable and stuff? Yeah. Well, you know, 25% of that or more was wasted. Yeah. Well, that's it. And like, not just wasted and like it didn't work, mm -hmm. wasted like, never happened in front of real people. I mean, that's that's the point of that that old adage, I think, is something that people use to say, well, yeah, I mean, it's always been the case that a certain amount of your, your budget was wasted or ineffective, but this isn't waste. Like, this is theft. This is criminals stealing money. And it's it's not like you bought a billboard and nobody saw it, saw it, or you bought a billboard and the message was really ineffective. That's, you actually got something for it. This is, you you paid and the, the people you think you showed it to were bots, or you paid and it mm -hmm. was shown in an environment that was completely not what you thought it was and it's it's being stolen and so to me like that is a difference that I don't see people in the industry understanding and you're right that the marketers themselves like I've gone to actual you know 
chief marketing officers or you know people who are responsible for the budgets and I've shown them you know here's what happened here's here are your ads showing up in a completely fraudulent environment and they you know they thank us profusely for that and they're like we're going to look into it do they want to call it out publicly no they don't want to comment and they often make excuses for the partners they're working with because to your point exactly they don't want to have to go to their CFO mm-hmm. or their CEO and say yeah you know that deal we we spend hundreds of thousands of year with that partner well it turns out you know they were sending uh, fake traffic to our sponsor yeah. content or something they don't they don't want to do that right. because their budget gets cut and they maybe lose their job and then I'm sure you've had the experience you go to that partner and the partner blames another partner they're like I uh-huh. know our codes there but actually you know that was offloaded to this other party and then that got offloaded to someone else uh, this was just yeah. a one-time thing the, yeah I mean that's so I've done I think about you know about 10 or a dozen stories on ad fraud specifically and in every single case there is always somebody else to blame and in yeah. every single case they also say well you know we we work with some of the best verification partners as well and they're telling us that this is okay and so every stage in the process to your point there is plausible deniability even the verification stuff I mean it's vastly different um, from provider to provider and everyone really knows that it's just an agreed it's like nielsen metrics it's like it might not be accurate but everyone agrees to pretend that it is yeah Um, it's it's about creating the environment where everything can continue to flow and and i should say i mean there have been verification companies and sort of you know detection companies like pixelate or double verify that at times have been absolutely integral to me doing some of these investigations um, mm-hmm. but I also have had other times where I've gone to companies and asked them you know here's what's going on with this traffic you seem to be you know uh, measuring and, and allowing this traffic to flow uh, can you come and they don't want to talk about that at all so at any given time a verification company could be actively you know stopping something or they could actually be allowing something to happen because you know who's the client in this and so I think they're in a really difficult and conflicted business because they're kind of taking money from a lot of different players and the other thing that happens is when people see fraud they don't say anything in this industry they might block it from their particular system but there's no kind of unified effort to say yeah this is a really bad player and maybe we all need to get them out of here because I hear this I talk to a DSP, I talk to a verification company, they're all like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're terrible. But it's <laughs> you talk to four others, and they're like, yeah, we work with them. And it's like, wh- why can't anyone figure out how to get the bad people out of this, this ecosystem? So it seems to me that the only parties that can really affect change are the marketers themselves. No, there's, there's another one that I think is important, which is, um, you know, well, two others. I would say regulators and law enforcement. And, well, that is true. And I think the FBI is apparently snooping around in different areas, but they are. I mean, there's an there's an open criminal investigation at the FBI right now. Um, I know also that the Southern District of New York, who has been looking into Newsweek over the, you know, potentially fraudulent uh, uh, loans that were there, that some indictments have come down. You know, we did a story about Newsweek enga- buying traffic and engaging in ad fraud, and I'm. And the prosecutor's office has been very open since that story came out, saying that they have now rolled that into their investigation. So I do think people in the industry need to actually pay attention to the fact that, Mm -hmm. you know, after we did this big story about um, a fraud scheme involving a lot of Android apps, uh, Senator Mark Warner sent another letter to the FTC saying, you need to look at ad fraud. He had sent a letter back in 2016. There's open FBI criminal investigation. Southern District of New York, very powerful, relatively tech-savvy you know, prosecutor's office looking uh, at one ad fraud case. I think people in the industry should realize that the era of people not losing their jobs over fraud, of people not going to jail over fraud, of people not being charged over fraud, 
it may be coming to an end and they yeah. should figure out which side they want to be on. I'm reminded a little bit of the spyware era. Um, I'm, I've covered this long enough that I, I was around for the, the scourge of spyware on computers that then spawned pop-up ad after pop-up. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty much the same story then because you would mm. go to Vonage and Vonage was on every single infected computer and like this was how they were building their business. Right. And they would be shocked. <laughs> shocked that this happened. <laughs> There's gambling going on in this casino. <laughs> it was this very is much. There's spyware going on <laughs> in this direct response <laughs> ad network. Um, mm-hmm. And and that ended up getting um, getting shut down because uh, the FTC and, yeah. and the government um, started raiding people. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty soon that, that's, that's what uh, impacted. And a lot of times this industry goes on and on about self-regulation and self-regulation and at the end of the day, the only thing I think that changes bad practices are when tech companies like Google and mm-hmm. Microsoft put an end to things like pop-ups that right. were abused um, or the government gets involved. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the government piece is going to be interesting to watch. The truth is that I think Mark Warner wanted to get in on this. Uh, and then the 2016 election happened, and yeah. he's he's been he's been dealing with the intelligence committee stuff. But I think um, some of the stuff has has rekindled his interest. And once Mueller is wrapped up, this is a place that I think there's going to be mm-hmm. some attention and some scrutiny of. And there there absolutely needs to be. It is just it's crazy to me that we sort of supposedly had this have this really modern digital media um, and digital advertising industry um, that, you know, to your point, is supposed to be more effective, it's supposed to be measurable and accountable. And it's just, it's this swamp of fraud. And it's insane to me. Like, honestly, when I started looking into ad fraud a year and a half ago, because I'd been very focused on kind of misinformation, falsehoods, and that whole thing. And then I started understanding what was going on and started investigating it. It's just a, a constant um, eye-opening experience of how absolutely messed up this whole thing oh, has yeah. gotten, and and like people in the industry have to pay attention to that and realize it because there just doesn't seem to be a hell of a lot of accountability, and I find it really really frustrating. I mean, this this story I did two weeks ago, there were like more than 125 Android apps and websites in a very advanced fraud scheme that had stolen a lot of money. And I have spent the last few weeks trying to figure out where the money went. And marketers aren't coming to me. Um, you know, DSPs and SSPs will kind of talk off the record, but everybody says, "Oh, you know, no, 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 it was, the loss was very small with us." Um, and you know, oh yeah, you know, the, the clawbacks are very small. And Google, however, has said that roughly about ten million dollars was mm-hmm. stolen, um, and that's that's a big number they don't usually give out. And Oath has said about three hundred thousand, but they only looked over the last ninety days, and nobody else is really saying much. And it's just this total deafening silence. Um, and even the marketers themselves, like, why aren't they up in arms? Because they bought this inventory over the last couple of years. I want to take a quick break here to tell you about Digiday Live, our podcast that features the best sessions from our many summits around the world. For example, Digiday Live recently featured a talk from our our publishing summit in Barcelona that was given by Jean-Christophe de Marta, the SVP of Global Advertising at the New York Times. He discussed how the Times is measuring emotional connections to its ads with something it calls Project Feels. Check out that and more um, on of this podcast on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. Now back to the episode. 
Let's talk about the platform's role in this. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of attention on on Facebook and their efforts to to, to stamp out uh, misinformation. Um, not just obviously in the U.S. around um, our recent election, but I mean also abroad. I mean yeah. they've got a serious issue. It's a global uh, issue, hundred um, percent. From your standpoint, a very big question. I mean, are they able with their core product as it is to really do this? Because it is a They've built this monster where mm-hmm. a 2% error rate is hundreds of millions of <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah. The the scale, that's, I mean, that is the really key piece of this is the scale is unheard of in human history. And um, so on one level, I think they've kind of got their arms a little bit around the kind of 100% false content. Uh, they've got this partner partnerships with fact checkers in many countries around the world now where like, you know, the fact checkers see a feed of stuff spreading. They can now not only fact check articles, but also images and video. Um, and then once they flag it as false, it gets the distribution is reduced and that kind of thing. And I think there has been some effect from that. But the fact checkers can't get to everything. There's too much. And then you think about, well, okay, so what's the next line of defense? The next AI. line of uh, yeah. That's what everyone goes to. Well, I mean, so Facebook, my sense of Facebook is they think they're about a year or two away from having AI that's pretty good at um, flagging hate speech and pretty good at flagging falsehoods and other kinds of problematic stuff. Like they, they say that they're super effective at, for example, ISIS content. They say they're really good at that. They acknowledge that hate speech is a lot harder and more nuanced, but I really think Facebook is just like, we just need another year or two. The machines will be able to get there. Yeah. And they this, figured out this, the nipples they can figure that this will go this will go away you know um and when you talk to the people whose daily job it is they're much more cautious than when you hear sheryl sandberg Mm -hmm. or other key executives speak because i think the executives are saying guys i you know i don't want to keep talking about this in a year i want this handled um so there's Mm -hmm. ai which will never fully solve it but then the other thing they're doing is they're hiring you know they've got about twenty thousand people in that broad definition of content moderation and security so there is that human piece of it and the thing that really concerns me is that i don't think facebook i don't think youtube or these other platforms have realized that content moderation is actually now one of their core functions as an entity Um, They think of themselves as engineering and all that, but content moderation at the scale they're at and the amount of stuff that's there, the responsibilities they have, whether it's advertisers or otherwise, this is this is a core part of their business, but they farm it out to third parties. But how can they do that at the scale they are? Again, I go back to the scale question, because at the scale they are, 20,000 is not enough. No, I think I think that's that's why I don't feel like they've actually embraced this. There's one reason which is that I don't think we actually know what the right number is, but I feel like it's a lot higher than where they're at. I mean, 20,000 for Facebook is double what they were roughly a year ago. But um, I don't think anyone knows what the right number is, and I don't think they're willing to hire to that number. I think they want to keep it low. And then the second thing is that these are not good quality, high paying jobs. Um, in their main offices around the world. These are jobs that often are placed in developing countries. These are jobs that they hire through third parties, whether small contractors Mm -hmm. or big ones like Accenture, for example. And, you know, they're not taking responsibility for these people, for the work that they're doing on a daily basis, but also the toll of looking at absolutely horrid content. Was it the New York Times that had the story about about the the Philippine um, uh, content moderation? So there was, a few years ago, there was a story, I think it was in Wired, 
uh, by Adrian Chen, oh, okay. which was the first one to really, you know, and like I, I remember it because the art with the story was was literally it was a photo of a person sitting in a cubicle in the Philippines with their 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 face in their hands because they had just watched something yeah. that they then had to moderate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not it's not the most pleasant job. No, probably. and and it's also it's a it's frankly we have to recognize that this is now a core part of this this world that has been built by these massive platforms mm-hmm. that you know do enable anyone to pretty much mm-hmm. upload things and we have to think about the human toll of this both from the you know the harmful content uh, spreading to people right. and also the folks that you are paying probably maybe less than they should receive giving them less support than they should receive to actually do the job mm-hmm. and then to not be traumatized for life from it i mean this is this is really i don't think we've gotten our arms around how bad of an issue that is also i i also wonder whether i mean is it worth it like i mean i yeah i guess it's nice to to be able to see family photos and stuff like this in the <laughs> right. feed but at some point you start to i i wonder and look everyone looks at 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 the numbers and and you know pew regularly comes out with statistics of people mm-hmm. deleting their facebook app and yeah obviously it's not going to go the way of myspace or any any of that it's not a flavor of the month it's a utility but i wonder at some point whether or not um you know people just start to pull back on on some of these platforms and and yeah. the sharing that they're getting less out of it than they're giving in. I know mm. I personally have felt that way with several of the platforms. It's just like, this is not worth yeah. um, what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, I think, well, I think one, the people who delete and completely pull back, I feel like that's still comparatively a relatively small amount. But I do think what we're seeing is kind of a, a fracturing of the universe. I don't know that we'll ever see anything as big and as dominant as Facebook again. And I think that now they're experiencing a lot of pains because of how big and how dominant they are. So I do think that this Mm -hmm. retreat we're seeing people into messaging apps like WhatsApp and other things like that, where they feel like they're more in control. Which has its own problems. Which has, I mean, it's massive issues in India. um, Huge, huge problems. Massive issues in Brazil. I mean, in the election that just happened there, you know, for the far right guy who just won, people on on his behalf, his supporters, bought like millions of cell phone numbers because they know everyone's on WhatsApp. And then they just spread. 100% falsehoods about the the left leftist candidate. Um, so I mean the in- ingenuity of the adversaries and the way people are exploiting these platforms. For me, that's I mean my daily job is covering that. But I think we will see people floating to more sort of private or semi-private um, environments where they feel like they have more control. Mm-hmm. For people like me, that's a real problem because I can't see what they're seeing. I can't see the analytics right. of what's spreading and sharing, and it creates a whole new problem around completely false and misleading content and just not understanding what what people are encountering on a daily basis. Are you, final thing is are you hopeful that that this will be somewhat of a of a phase that we're going through where we can get back to having a broad agreement of what is true and what is not or is this just a chronic is now like a chronic human condition of of a chronic sort of modern human condition. So there's, I'm because cer- I mean we're getting yeah. into this manipulation of video and stuff like yeah. this that is getting to the point where, and and we're coming off an election where you know the president of the United States just said things that were flat lies yeah. about these caravans and stuff like this. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and it did not hurt him. It did yeah. not hurt him. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'll I'll be Canadian and sort of like pick a couple of <laughs> pick pick a couple of sides in this. Um, so one thing is that I think we are in a new normal 
piece of this where uh, and so the piece that one piece that ha- we have to adapt is honestly our human nature and, and how we process information and there's a role for media literacy and other things in that but it's I really think it's going to take years before we figure out how to navigate this world for ourselves um, the adversaries will not stop so there will always be new attacks there will always be new ways of, mm-hmm. of targeting people and going after things and this is where the resiliency needs to be built in populations for it um, and so, the thing, one of the things that makes me a bit hopeful is um, the broad coalition of people and entities who are now aware, like, things are really challenging and screwed up in a lot of ways, and we have to address this. Uh, when I started looking into this stuff, and specifically researching it in 2014, I, I mean, nobody really cared. Uh, and so, there's been a wake-up call, but it's a really hard problem. It doesn't get fixed fully, but I feel like the thing that might happen is we start to adapt. Um, mm-hmm. We start to not be sort of shocked by things. We start to figure out how, an, how to navigate this environment for ourselves. We start to see some of the uh, extremes and the things that have gone too far and start to try to pull back and correct that. And I don't know exactly what that looks like yeah. in the end, but it's this is somewhat like, we, don't, we don't go back to what we have right. before. That but doesn't this, happen. There is an element to this of it being an old person problem, right? I mean, we got to get all of our parents off Facebook. <laughs> Like, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, that, I think, is is one of the larger problems. And in all seriousness, I think, as someone who grew up in an analog world um, and then is, like, sort of living in the digital world is, you know, our brains are different, those of us mm-hmm. who grew up in an analog world, where I feel like younger people who have grown up with this just as, like, the norm I will hope. This is my Gen Alpha sort of segment. Right. I will hope. Gen that, Alpha? What yeah, is that? It's, it's like the next. Uh, is that a real thing? No. Well, this is this no, is a marketing. No, thing. it's Somebody marketing. It. It's not a real thing. Of course not. <laughs> I said that with air quotes. Uh, I really do think that they're they're gonna grow up. I hope. This is my hopeful part. Right. But they're gonna grow up a lot. Uh, like this is their normal. They know mm. not to trust like all sorts of different things that they see on, on right. Facebook or whatever platform they're on. So a couple of things on that. One is I'm very interested in whether the age is a definable and, and quantifiable difference. And I've been talking to a lot of researchers and people aren't ready to say that hundred percent. I know anecdotally, it really feels like that. And I do think folks are, you know, I think everyone at every age struggles with this, but yeah, I think it's fair to say someone who's much older struggles with this new environment, maybe more. Um, but researchers aren't ready to say age is like the big factor. Um, but I'm hoping to dig into that more. The other piece, you know, on on the kind of younger generation side of it is I do a lot of workshops for like high school kids and others to teach them how to verify photos and other things like that. And, the, you know, I'm encouraged that among that group, there's people who already know what like reverse image search is, but it's also still really eye-opening for them, the stuff that I show them. And so mm-hmm. I think we would be in a really bad scenario to assume that there's something baked into younger generations around that. Um, I think we actually have to take a little more responsibility and think about how we're helping equip them, um, but also thinking about... I, I agree, taking some direction from them because we we are out of touch with perhaps what you know what they're seeing and what they're engaging yeah. with. I mean, every school should have media literacy, I think, as part of uh, the curriculum. At the, this the problem is it can't be called media literacy because nobody wants to take a media literacy course like that. That is one of the okay. big problems. We can rebrand it. It has to be. Yeah. The well, marketers have come up with Gen Alpha. They can come up with something. You for know, media literacy. while you're fixing fraud, come up with a better <laughs> way to rebrand media literacy marketers and, and help save the world that way. You know? Okay, uh, Craig, I want you to come back in a year and tell us how much better it is. Um, I can't. Pro- I'll come. Perhaps to come back, <laughs> <laughs> or worse. Yeah. Uh, it's look. 
we all have a role to play. Everybody, every single person in every single industry. So people should should take that as something to think about in their yeah. daily life and what they can do. And, you know, the old saw is sunshine is the best disinfectant. So let's keep that up. Yeah, okay. definitely. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This show is produced by Aditi Sangal. Tell us what you think. Tweet at me or email me at bmarsi at digiday.com. Also, uh, please do take a minute and leave a review for us um, on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast that does help people um, discover it. So thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week. Have you ever wondered what news stories people pay attention to around you? Or if you're missing a top story of the day? Parsley just released Currents, the, fir- the internet's first attention measurement platform. Currents lets you see what stories, topics, categories, audiences pay attention to. Sign up for Currents for free to explore the data yourself. Visit parse.ly digiday and sign up for your free account.